Some of the evil of my tale may have been inherent in our circumstances. For years we lived anyhow with one another in the naked desert, under the indifferent heaven. By day the hot sun fermented us, and we were dizzied by the beating wind. At night we were stained by dew, and shamed into pettiness by the innumerable silence of stars. We were a self-centered army, without parade or gesture, devoted to freedom, the second of man's creeds, a purpose so ravenous that it devoured all of our strength, a hope so transcendent that our earlier ambitions faded in its glare. And with that, welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And it's happened. The day has come. We are tackling one of our absolute favorite records, a massive document, Condoms, The Eighth Pillar, A Confession of Faith. Here we are. This is, we've been leading up, this is obviously one of the albums that when we started doing, branching out into the entire world of, of noise and experimental and industrial, etc., this was pretty much the first record that we listed, but we did not, we had no, there was no rush. Uh, we, we we didn't want to rush into it. We wanted to wait and do this album justice. So yeah, we don't take condom lightly. No, absolutely not. And especially this album, it's one of the most important albums of our time. No matter what genre you're talking about, this is a uh, incredibly important piece of work uh, of the modern day. And wow, I can't wait to really dive in. We just listened to it on. The loudest I've listened to. It, it. was so loud. It was wild. It was great. It has to be played loud. Yes, yes. Uh, we listened to uh, an LP copy, although I'm sure you'll see in the photo, we've got CDs and uh, booklets and all kinds of other stuff handy because this is a really well-researched, well-thought-out concept of a record. Obviously, something that was personally important to Mike Dando to uh, communicate these ideas and, and the ideas of T.E. Lawrence, who the album is dedicated to so there is a lot to go over here more than just noise <laughs> oh absolutely yeah it's one of those great situations where you can you know open up the booklet read along really be completely submerged in every way yes and 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 once you start branching out into the the references and especially the main book that it is based on the seven pillars of wisdom by t.e lawrence which Mike has been reading. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say I have been deep in the world of T.E. Lawrence, a.k.a. Lawrence of Arabia, and the world of Mike Dando, and the combination that he created with this album. So just a, just, you know, kind of a quick background. So, you know, the eighth pillar, it is a reference to the book, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. And that was a book that... T.E. Lawrence uh, wrote about his time helping to lead uh, an Arab revolt against the Turks in the in World War One from about 1917 to about 1919 was when he was uh, a part of this rebellion. And he was just kind of a man of action and a man of adventure, this kind of thing that probably you know basically doesn't exist anymore. He studied archaeology, you know, he traveled. He was a just one of these people who did so much 
You know, the fact and that he, he wrote le- prolifically too. Well, and the fact that he let help lead an Arab revolt. He wasn't like in the military. Like, like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like yeah. he eventually d- was, but he, it was just, but he later joined the air force. Exactly. Mm-hmm. His love affair with Arabia and the, the middle East came from when he was at Oxford and he studied the crusader castles of Syria, uh, which are amazing. Uh, you can, you can check all that out. And he walked 1200 miles by himself in Syria, in places that have probably ne- had never seen a European before, you know, he was, you know, he was you know, a British, you know, uh, you know, British man. Um, and so that was where that was it. And he literally walked for around Syria and studied this castle. And that's where his, his, his love, love affair with the Middle East came. And the original idea for a book called the seven pillars of wisdom, the title is uh, partly a reference to Proverbs nine in the Bible where it says wisdom has built her house, she has set up seven pillars and it goes on from there. We'll discuss it when the song uh, that uses those come in for him. The seven pillars of wisdom were the great cities of the Middle East. And those seven cities were Cairo, Smyrna, Constantinople, Beirut, Aleppo, Damascus and Medina. And so that was originally what he was going to write a book about was these seven cities. Uh, he ended up obviously changing that after. And didn't he, he lose his transcript? Well, he went, like twice. This is amazing. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, so yes. So eventually he, he wrote the book about the Arab revolt, but kept the title seven pillars of wisdom, which I think is like, amazing. there's something very condom about that, you know, just, <laughs> just yeah. combining these things in a way that what that didn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't the original intention. And yes, you're correct, Tara. He lost the transcript for Seven Pillars of Wisdom twice. So the th- the version that is available was his third rewriting of it. Mm-hmm. Now, let's keep this in perspective. This is a 700-page book that documents. <laughs> it's pretty much like a daily document for like two years. I mean, yes. it is it is each day by day. The te- you know, it's, it's incredible. But look. There's no floppy disk or cloud or thumb hey, drive yeah. that was saved hey, on. Once in a while, the record button doesn't get hit on the podcast <laughs> and we do like 10 minutes and we forgot to record it. And we like, we, we like pout. think we're like, oh my God, <laughs> this, how are we going to do that again? I can't repeat yeah, myself. He rewrote this book three times. One time it was lost, like at like a train station, oh. or like oh, on a train and so people, upsetting. they put out, you know, like ads, you know, never got found. No. I can't remember what the other one was. The book itself is this kind of weird, like it's historical and it's a document of the Arab revolt, but then it's also in It's also with his personal ideas and ideas and spirituality, spirituality and faith and all this stuff. And so it is this kind of combination of you're not always a hundred percent sure the reality and the, and his kind of like just our favorite type of thing. Exactly. Because you, I, you can't like walk 1200 miles across a desert without having a thought in your head. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know? exactly. you or, or even, yeah. Or even flying a plane or riding a motorcycle. Yeah, and you I mean, it's a solo exploit. You can't be in an Arab revolt for two years and not have, you know, a feeling uh, about them or tortured yes. extensively. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's like, <laughs> a which little, we'll get to, yeah, of yeah. course we're going to get to all of it. But yeah, so this is, it, it truly is in a ways I can, I absolutely see why Mike Dando was so interested in Lawrence because, you know, again, it's this strange combination of reality, unreality, truth, non-truth, questions that aren't answered, questions that may never be answered, questions that can't be answered. And I think that's condom. I think know? also Mike Dando being British and T. Lawrence being sort of a, a mythical or legendary yes, figure yeah. Yeah. over there is, you know, I, I don't know where you're listening from, but we're here in America and like 
T. Lawrence, not really a, a huge deal over here. Certainly not for someone of, in my age group or whatever. I was not very aware of it. I know Lawrence of Arabia, but that's about all mm-hmm. I knew before even starting to dig into any of this stuff related to the condom record. That's sort of what made me yeah, absolutely. Out, absolutely. Right? We'll look into any of this. So I'm certain it's much different being brought up in the UK and him being, you know, uh, sort of a legendary figure mm-hmm. over there. So this is... Uh, I'm trying to think of something to equate it to here, but I'm not sure that I even can. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I, it would I, be I like Davy Crockett. Yeah, but you, I mean, <laughs> like not like even. That, he's not. Is, yeah, this is so. Epic. This is so much more. And his life was so. He there were so many different things in his life, and he wrote multiple books. He you know he wrote a lot of poems, and yeah, he went through so many different stages in his life. Um, but we you know we'll go ahead and get started with the first track, Seven Pillars of Wisdom. You know, obviously. That's the way to go. You open the book. You're in seven. Oh, and we should also mention that the subtitle of this record is The Eighth Pillar, A Confession of Faith. Confession of Faith was a poem that he wrote and also a proposed title of a book that he, he never ended up writing before he passed away. So that is what the A Confession of Faith is a is a reference to. Um, but The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, lyrically, it is a collage kind of version of words from the Proverbs 9, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom is taken from. And I'll just say like in, in biblical scenarios and references seven is the number of completeness so if, if it's a if it's a house built upon seven pillars it is very orderly and neat it's the divine number it starts with a motorcycle i love it oh. and that's what t.e lawrence died in a motorcycle accident so it's very fitting that it's it started uh, there's a photo of him in the booklet uh, on a motorcycle it's a fantastic photo it's quite fetching a brow superior is brow the, superior is the, is the, i was gonna ask is the uh <laughs> is the style of motorcycle he had multiple looks they beautiful were, they were his favorite mm-hmm. it is so yeah the picture of him on the motorcycle is so cool there's mul- you can see multiple pictures of him um is he a tall man? Do you know, he looks very tall on this motorcycle. I think he, yeah, I think he is tall. Um, you know, that's one thing I didn't, but I do think he is uh, pretty tall. Yes, yeah, he and, and like he's, he's very striking. You know, of course, to the Arab people because I mean, he did look, you know, obviously so different. And so there was, that was something that always conflicted him throughout his whole life. Uh, was that you know he he did wear the Arab garb you know while he was doing the role, mm-hmm. and it was the guy who he was kind of working with is who encouraged him to do that. Part part of it is practical, and he talks about that. Just the actual weather and yeah, the, the actual sun the and sun the dust. and the, and the exact Exactly. It yes. is practical to wear that. But, you know, he himself, you know, he did always feel somewhat conflicted by it because in some ways he felt it helped connect him to the people. But then in other ways, he felt like an imposter, you know, so he was all that was always a conflict. But again, we're talking about condoms. That theme of conflict is yeah. going to run through <laughs> yeah, this yeah, entire yeah. record and through condoms and entire through and work, those, those things, those, those two sides of the coin, black and white, these these feelings. Um, but what a way to start the record. It's not just a motorcycle, though. There's more distinct and clearly heard motorcycle on later tracks. But this is a crackling, rattling, burning, churning, filthy, sputtering sound. It's layers of nasty, breaking noise. And it sounds it just sounds so powerful to me to open the record that way. And then there's a there's like a simple sort of uh, two note melody Mm -hmm. that comes in under it and it's there it's used a couple times on this record but of course we started this is right in the first track and it just it sets such a tone it's one of those things that i wouldn't if you ask me if condom has melody i mean we're talking two notes it's very very simple but it's very very effective too uh in that it's just two alternating tones sort of setting a stage here Uh, and that combined with the noise really lays down a perfect bed of sound for which he then starts orating over 
And, and like, I, I just think of the the symbolism in this first one, um, like the seven pillars of wisdom, like this is um, your call to the house of wisdom. It's the the motorcycle, which represents like freedom and individuality, especially because, you know, you're the one driving it and even like that danger. So you get that that really, really mixed feeling just right from the get go on this album. Um, and it just starts making you think and feel and um, deal with those conflicts within yourself. I think that someone who hasn't ridden a motorcycle or been on the back of a motorcycle might not understand the feeling of being on a motorcycle either. And it is a very freeing, very meditative act to do. Uh, like you said, like walking across a desert or flying a plane, you're, you're by yourself. You are in the moment and you're focusing on what you're doing and your your mind is empty and pure because you're only concerned with sort of this immediate act and I, I like that as a theme through this record, too. Also thinking about at times when your mind is empty or, or consumed with one focus task, it starts to daydream and think of other things. And with T.E. Lawrence, obviously, faith was a big portion of what he's what he's focusing on, his own faith and beliefs and and how and the faith that he encounters while he's in Arabia. You know, the, the what he what he learns from people with different backgrounds from him and other than mm-hmm. him and, and all this. And we're given bible verses <laughs> yeah yeah and, go, and of course something that will go through condoms you know you know entire body of work you know use of the bible use of religious writing oh and, certainly the sermons and, yeah i mean yeah. of course the sermon series of course all in good faith you know so so you know he even said in an in an interview that this was kind of the culmination of the first 10 years of condom and that totally makes sense to me you know the exploration of faith the exploration of spiritual, you know, spirituality and the spirit and you know, ultimately also, you know, life and death. And what he says, you know, in the great uh, interview that's it was included on the reissue of um, Dragging to the Gutter uh, on hospital uh, a year or two ago, uh, where he says condom is interested in individual potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that is very much uh, a part of this record, individual potential. Um an expression of self, a personal search. I think yeah. that sums this record up so so yeah. flawlessly uh, and the concepts behind it. This first piece is a, a perfect introduction to the record, I think, because it really, the lyrics taken from Proverbs 9 are inviting, right? It's let the simple come in. It's a call to the lost to right. find the, their way. Walk in the way of insight. And that's kind of the mm-hmm. line that stands out a lot from this track. And especially a great, and we should, we'll, we'll probably you know put a link of it up. There's a great show from Russia from 2013 where he oh, does the 88th so Pillar good. in its entirety live. And especially for this song when he's doing, you know, walk in the way of insight. It's very, it's, it is the kind of like, that is the line from this song. And that's, that's and again, that's such an interesting, you know, again, it's, it can be taken so many different ways. And that's what Dando was always trying to do. He was never giving an answer. He was never, it was, he's not spoon feeding it to you. And then letting you go with it. And And, I think walking the way of insight is, is like a perfect summation. of And and really watching that reminded me how performance based these pieces are too. Like truly watching him perform adds a completely different dynamic down to his amazing videos and his actions, his demeanor combined with all of the sounds it's really you know a, a complete piece sadly Taryn and i never did get a chance to see condom live and i know gray has 
Yeah, I think we've talked about this a few times but on the show. I want to hear it again. Let's go. We're in the zone. I got to see him at uh, Octung America and in do, New York. Do you recall what he was doing then? It was Color of a Man's Skin oh. era, so he painted himself half black, half white, and went out and uh, touched the audience and also smeared some of his uh, like grease paint, whatever. Mm-hmm. On, I got touched with, with paint on my forehead, I remember. Wow. You were anointed yeah. by condom. And, That's uh, so cool. It was... I mean, I don't know what more. I, I This is 20 years ago also, but I, I don't know what I can say other than it. my memory of it is amazing and I'm happy that I got to see it. But it's I, I have photos somewhere. I took disposable cameras and I, oh, I, wow. like, I haven't seen those photos in maybe 10 years, but I know they're around in some box somewhere. Them. That's awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, because the frying it was on the frying pan in the Chelsea Pier and. I've mentioned this before, of course, but th- that was a rusted out uh, ship they pulled from the bottom of the ocean and restored so they could like have events there. And they would have wedding, they would rent it for weddings and stuff, but they rented it for this festival. So the inside of the ship is it's rusted. It's rusted metal of like an old <laughs> warship or something. So oh, it's, yeah. what a perfect it's like the setting. It looks it amazing. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a perfect setting to, to see. Conrad. Absolutely. I want more shows set in completely crazy places like that like that was really a wild place to have a show that's another 10 years after this record was recorded almost or you know eight years or whatever right so he he had moved on to some other concepts and of course continuing condom he occasionally would uh, branch out into some new themes but they all became a part of this whole so when i think of condom i think of all these different conflicting themes well that's what he even said in that interview you know he says that like there's going to be different things different subjects different way of approaching but as a whole it's going to always be centered around you know these ideas of faith these ideas of control and dominance yes and that's you know of course condom control dominance and that's what he was always interested in from day one and it continued you know forever and like i i think that idea is just like the more i think about it the more boundless it becomes i mean truly when are we not confronted by control and dominance like being dominated or being in control um individualism versus a society like uh and just all the things that, you know, those thoughts represent, like it's, it's just, uh, just so boils down the human experience, um, to be like your mind versus your body. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's just an amazing concept. And one of the notes I wrote down during seven pillars of wisdom is, uh, the word cataclysm. And, uh, it's, to some, it signifies sort of like an a uh, rapture, an end of world event, or some you know some kind of Armageddon. But it also, to me, signifies change that something in, is about to begin anew. And so, I think that this track in the record is the cataclysm point. You put this on, and you are exposed to this thing. And from that, from this track on, things are different now. And I think mm-hmm. that that's a progression we see through the record. And I think that it's a uh, this this track is very deliberate in what it is, how it sounds, and what it does. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, there's really no other record like this. There's really no, nothing else that. There's comes, nothing there's else nothing like this. That sounds like this. It's it's immediate. You're in this world. You know it from the first second. You know this song is the perfect way to to introduce it. And you're right. This whole thing deals with change. Deals with deals with you know personal change as well as outside change and how the individual can affect affects the outside and how the outside affects the individual a little more background on on lawrence so it was in 1916 that he became the british army's liaison to emir faisal and that's who was kind of heading up this arab revolt so basically the turks you know were in control of most of the arab world and and they were revolting against their control and so one of the big things that lawrence introduced to the arab revolt was this kind of guerrilla 
warfare in a way. He was, they were setting up demolition. Basically, there was a railway the Turks had built. It was called the Hejaz Railway. And it was kind of from Turkey into the Middle East was this this railway was their connection. And what Lawrence was doing was they were basically destroying the railway and they were attempting to do it in a way that wasn't necessarily a permanent destruction, but basically would cripple them and constantly cripple them Mm -hmm. because their, his theory was there was way more Turks than there were Arabs, but what they could do was hurt their material things like the railways. And that would then cripple them, uh, you know, as destroy their infrastructure, destroy the supply chains. Exactly. And so that was a big thing he introduced. Now to this day, it never really fully, was repaired and was really, it's still to this, I mean, you know, still to this day, stuff that happened in this time in this, in world war one, the ramifications are still felt today. I mean, it was even, mm-hmm. even a few years ago, you could actually probably still today. You could find casings from this, these battles in these areas in Jordan and in, in the middle East, you could find, you know, British casings in there and Turkish, you know, it, it's never truly. Yeah. And the desert repaired. preserves things. Yeah, well, of course. Well. <laughs> and, and, and that was the thing. This yeah. is the desert. I mean, it's wild. I don't, you know, we, we live close to the desert. We live in a technical desert. We live in a fake city that was yeah. not supposed to be where it is. We are supposed to just be in the desert. But that's one thing Lawrence said. He said the abstraction of the desert landscape cleansed him. And, the, but when you, you know, when you really think about this desert and this vast, oh, and, and the heat and the sand and the, the, the basically can't get away from them. Yes. It's just constant. And, you know, what is the madness that can come from? Well, he and he said that he said Lawrence said that he always felt the madness with him and the madness was Mm -hmm. living with him. Uh, And so, yeah, it's it's I I can't I cannot fully imagine what the desert could do to somebody, uh, especially someone who wasn't, you know, from that area and, and especially in this time of war and revolt. Yeah. And you're just submerged in the desert and violence, like everything around you is could kill you. I mean, you're just, yes. you're just constantly well, that's what he said there. submerged and, in and, danger. And he talks about a desert faith and a desert violence mm-hmm. and the, you know, that's, there's something specific about the desert that brings these things. And, and, and I think like the condom does explore the, the nature of violence, like, of course, um, individuals versus other individuals or being even, you know, and when he, explores what it's like to be a soldier like and and compares it to being a slave and um you are just like one cog in this machine of a larger trend of violence and violence is one one of the great ways to control and dominate somebody exactly you know that is one of the preferred methods of people who want to control and dominate uh uh violence is you know that's it's kind of the the apex for a lot of people and so like the the idea of like you have submitted your body, but you're never submitting your mind. And that kind of feels like the balance that Lawrence of Arabia T. Lawrence was trying to achieve was um, at times giving up his body, but not submitting his mind or at times changing his mind so that he could move forward. um, And again, with himself, again, a, a something that of course would permeate through Mike Dano's work, you know, this idea of the body and the the mind and the spirit and the, the conflict of the two and as well as the, you know, harmony of the two. I know I tried to make a list of like, um, uh, of the conflicts and it was like f- physical versus spiritual, individual versus society, internal versus external microcosm versus macrocosm, mind and body soldiers, a slave and your will in a society. 
Well, one all th- of those things. <laughs> absolutely. And one thing Lawrence said, it's a direct quote from Lawrence. He says, the aim of life is the conquest of matter by spirit. And I think yes. that's, you know. Um, so we get into the second track, uh, Credo. And this is the lyrics here are begin with the Apostles Creed and then continue to kind of morph those original, you know, the original verse into something else. Before we get to the lyrics, though, it, it starts with this phased static assault. This actually, to me, this is traditional. I wrote condom tactics. This is <laughs> as condom as it gets on this. Yes, record. Yes. yes, it is. It, when so, the, it comes in and it was both all three of us just immediately had these, the biggest grin on our face and just the biggest feeling of like we are in. And to me, these, this was the wash of a sandstorm and this was the this was the violence of sand and and lawrence talks about this at times when there would be these sandstorms and it would just like completely it would the grains of sand would just it would hurt their bare foot and we talked about getting how boobs. destroyed oh no exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, i can't remember what I, oh maybe the menchie episode i think we talked yeah. about it but yes we did yeah, exactly but they that, that that's very real in the desert of course it's a it's a fuzzing static it's a swarm of locusts. It's layer upon layer of it too. It's not a single. Mm-hmm. No, no, yes. no. This it's is so not detailed. your one sound flange feedback. Whatever. No, 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 this no. is nuanced and detailed, and l- piles and piles of layers to this attack, and it's it just brings you in. And then, like I said in the last track, there's a, there's a two notes, but this one's this one more yeah, somber. Yeah, it's very somber, miserable. Oh yeah, that organ too. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Every everything is spinning and moving and swimming. It is a dust storm inside of a dust storm inside of a dust storm. It's it's your fifth dust storm of the day. You know, like you're exhausted, and then this like robotic nasty voice just comes in. Oh God, I love I love the way the vocals are 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 on this because it is. This is a menacing track, for sure. Yes. Mike Dando said that the eighth pillar was always destined to be a vinyl release. Uh, the sophisticated nature of the work, and in particular, the wide and intensive utilization of layered found sound, demanded the use of multi-track studio facilities and a high-quality production. And that's what you get. And this track yeah. especially, that's where you feel that in this track. Is yeah. these? It is... The layers are so purposeful, like you said, they're so nuanced and it is so physically, it is physically painful and mentally painful. It's the the conquest of matter by spirit and physical abandonment. Yes. That two note melody, though, changes and it becomes now like a resonant modulated thing towards the end of this track that is. It's flawless. It is. It is mm-hmm. so perfect from what it starts as to what it becomes. And there's a constant progression in this. Like I said, everything is moving. Everything is swimming. I hear some uh, perhaps whipping in this one or some cracking. There's like a, a punctuating sound. It's not, I believe, the whipping that GX Jupiter Larson is credited with in the liner notes that comes later. But there is sort of a violent whipping or cracking or hitting sound that happens in this track. I, I really enjoy that in here as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, yeah. This, this track is, I got chills listening to this. Absolutely. Track. I mean, the layers are so well done that they don't seem like they've been layered. It just seems like something that exists on its own accord. You know, it, it becomes yes. otherworldly um, because the, it's just so 
subtly and well done. And and even down to devices and trying to pick things apart, there's there's really nothing that you can hold on to. There's very few, you know, you've joked about uh, Sherlock Holger. There's yes. very few sounds in this that I try to pick out. What I mean, like some of the field no, recordings, but yeah. I'm not, I can't dissect this because it's too dense. Obviously, there's some trademark condom stuff going on here, but there's so much more. And there's, I did write notes on certain sounds, but it's just like what I kind of think or how they make me feel. This isn't an enveloping record to where, like I said, I got chills listening to Credo. Like I really, I was really yeah. like, I got goosebumps listening to this at volume sitting and, here and just focusing on it. And it's so crazy because he's, you know, spoken about how he was never a musician prior to this. And it's just like, oh my, how did, how do you do this? Like, because his composition is just so just on point. He did play in uh, Death Magazine 52, which is, I think, in a, a couple, maybe other projects in the mm-hmm. early 80s. But I think that's maybe the extent of it. And those were, of course, more like industrial, borderline post-industrial noise kind of things. Uh, but in what was it August 1st 1983 is the, 83, the yeah. birth of condom yeah 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 absolutely and i think i think he played maybe in some uh death mag stuff it was maybe september of 83 i want to say the live assaults i love that yeah. he calls the performances live assaults That's oh so good. and actually if you get the live assaults 1 and 4 cd on industrial recollections that it's hearing the first live performance of this project completely blew me away because it is so fully realized like i can't my god i wish my first show was <laughs> right, right. Like, it is so incredible to hear like this this was what you did for your first live it's so powerful and so amazing to be like you he had it figured out yeah wow. he hatched fully formed it's crazy it's really it's really wild to hear like this is condom has been going like this and this is you know it was recorded in, in 91 so it was recorded eight years after the inception of the project july through september of 91 i think is the dates and not released until uh, a little bit later but still like going for eight years and then nailing out just a perfect record is quite a quite a thing oh yeah no and, and, and i call like, it a triumph i would say it's a triumph uh the next track is called triumph now uh triumph is was also um and some versions of Seven Pillars of Wisdom, it's the subtitle. It's Seven Pillars of Wisdom, A Triumph. Um, and oh. the lyrics from this come from the very beginning of Seven Pillars of Wisdom, where they're, of course, you know, they're, they're you know, you know, kind of used in a different way, put in different order, things like that. But the, the basis of the lyrics are from the beginning of Seven Pillars of Wisdom. And I believe that it was a way, um, it was, it was... Lawrence discussing kind of the complex feelings that he had about being involved in this. Like the very first thing we open the episode with is the absolute first paragraph of seven pillars of wisdom. And that's what he says. There's an inherent evil in his tale. And, you know, for, for being a man of action and an adventurer and going all these places, he was also a murderer. And he also, um, you know, uh, uh, aided and abetted in in murdering and destruction and that is part of war and that is part of this revolt and triumph uh the track to me and and the way he put the words and lyrics together shows that conflict that that lawrence was having the title of this track is misleading i don't find it a triumph this track to me is full of despair well that over I th- that over that conflict i think but that's the thing is i think the idea of the, a triumph is it's complex um yes. it's not it is not this easy oh you won you won the day everything's great everyone feels great here we go the triumph comes with 
tragedy. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a mix. But I was going to say, I, I feel exactly the same way that you guys did. Like it's he's finding meaning in suffering and trying to find the meaning in brutality and searching for a way to reconcile suffering and violence with that power you have on yourself. Like maybe you congratulate yourself for your absolute domination, um, but then you have to see what that means to you and, and also deal with maybe the guilt or the horror that that brings to you. At the end of the day, this, you know, these are, these are uh, the thoughts of someone abused and controlled or investigating the thoughts of a, a subjugated people. And if it's the people he's helping to liberate or the people he's liberating them from by then now killing, you know, destroying their lives and th their way of life, both of those things ring true in this song. Something I think we should discuss that's uh, a, a huge part of this album is the artwork. Now, do we discuss the, how this, how the booklet came originally? No. Uh, yeah, I would say that's a, a good time to talk about the physical manifestation of this album, which is, uh, originally it's on, uh, sounds for consciousness, rape SFCR, mm -hmm. uh, which is out of France, which also released the, uh, Anjali CD that we did mm -hmm. last episode. So <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. 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 And of course, Love it. As GX talked about, they played shows together in the, in the nineties. There's even a split tape. I think that was sent out promotionally of the, these two artists. So yes, doing them is, back to yeah. back makes some kind of sense. Uh, um, I know it made me waffle. Should we say condom? But this, uh, this is a very beautifully presented, uh, very simply presented LP in a plain white jacket with stamped labels to indicate which side there is a sort of banderole that runs around the entire length of it that has the, these uh, art pieces on them have, you know, there's Xerox. So that's very, very high contrast uh, that stretches around the front and back along with uh, track list and recording information on the back. And there is an insert with uh, sort of a flyer for it that uh, tells you that it's inspired by the life of T.E. Lawrence and gives you some information and, also, information about a booklet you can procure from Cheeses International to uh, sort of it has all the lyrics and artwork in this booklet. And there's also a coupon you have to send in with a one pound 50 to Cheeses International to get the limited edition uh, booklet, which is sort of your uh, like, you know, eight and a half or uh, five and a half by eight and a half, whatever, like standard kind of zine size, a little bit larger because I think uh, European paper size which has all of these pieces of art and lyrics and uh, photos of T.E. Lawrence and stuff in it. But Connelly, your copy did not come with this booklet. C correct. Didn't send off for it. Correct. Yeah. It, the, the copy <laughs> we have has the, just still has the thing that to send off. My copy did not come with this booklet. Uh, I still have the coupon to send off. I don't yeah. think I'm going to mail it out. Um, <laughs> however, years ago, before I ever owned this record, a friend of mine sent me a copy of this booklet. So I've had this longer than I've actually what had this record. What a wild thing to be sent. Did they not? I mean, I, like that's I'm like so, precious it's so, cargo. I, I, it's so great, though, that you have a complete uh, package. It looks mm -hmm. it looks beautiful. Uh, the booklet is really cool. It's, you know, uh, earlier Connolly was comparing the art in this uh, and the typesetting and stuff to the art in the CD booklet. And I would say... There is a CD reissue that came out in 2008 or nine on functional organization, a sub label of the Tesco organization uh, who has done a lot of work with condom, including his last record. How welcome is death to I get the CD. If you can't get the LP, which you probably can't get the LP. Right. Mm -hmm. These are 300 copies from 1993. The booklet is reproduced in the CD as a, you know, sort of five by five booklet CD booklet uh, with much clearer, less Xerox looking artwork. And, uh, uh, redone typesetting 
Uh, so you can also read along with the lyrics and concepts of this record. It rules. All three of us while listening in between taking notes, we're just reading lyrics, looking at the artwork. And it's such a proper way to deal with like listening to a record that's this involved. Absolutely. You're given so much to allow you to fully interpret and understand this record in your own way. Like Absolutely. you're not given any answers, but you're giving all the material you need. And so, Mike found out where the images came from. So, so the, the artwork, it comes from the original pressings of seven, seven pillars of wisdom. And it's two artists. And one of the artists is William Roberts. And he was an English cubist, you know, around that time. And so the, the drawing, so for example, the drawings around the lyrics of triumph, which are directly related to the, to this part of the book are for our William Roberts uh, cubist drawings. And they absolutely enhance the lyrics and the content mm -hmm. um, of what you're reading and, and throughout the entire book, especially the anguish on their faces. Yes. The other artist is an artist named Blair Hughes Stanton, and he was a wood engraver. Um, and that's what the, the there's kind of, the the larger pieces that are de very kind of detailed uh, and they're the kind of the cover of the booklet and the and the in the in the back um, those are Blair Hughes Stanton as well as the the band or the artwork that's on the band of the LP and the and the cover of the CD that's Blair Hughes Stanton's uh, wood engravings um, and then the drawing the other drawings are uh, cubist uh, drawings by William Roberts and but I think that his drawings for especially for the triumph song it's it's really you're really given something else to think about and something else to uh to digest while you're listening to the song and even the cover with the the figure holding the the rope with seven stars and then a leash with like seven shadow men attached as they go up um this like seemingly endless set of stairs and kind of like a you do, you can't tell if the background is heaven or hell um, so are they descending or are they ascending? Um, I don't know. It's just such a perfect um, image and it doesn't give you too much. Like then that's kind of what's so magical about this whole experience, the lyrics, the way that everything is presented is you're not given an answer. You're not given a solution. You're given something to chew on and resolve within yourself. A little more background about Lawrence and his involvement in the Arab revolt. One thing that kind of ate away at him at this time was that he kind of knew that behind the scenes, the British and the French had made an agreement that once the the Arabs were free from the Turks, that they were basically between the British and the French were going to divide up the useful parts of the Middle East to them. They were going to kind of let the Arabs control, you know, the parts of the day didn't find to be useful and the parts that they did find to be useful. They were going to, you know, take back Lawrence kind of knew this, but always kind of, I think hoped that he could make a, you know, kind of make a difference and, and make that not make that not be the final outcome. Uh, one of his biggest accomplishments um, that he went behind the uh, British armies uh, back into this kind of on his own was he took um, they, they took the uh, Aqaba. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, um, but it was the Turks last out outpost on the Red Sea and the gateway to the heartland of the Arab world. And so, uh, it was a kind of a clandestine operation. It started with forty-five him and forty-five men, and it was a six hundred mile trek to get to this outpost. And they, you know, went for it was two months. 
uh, through along the way there was dysentery. There was, and that was actually a big thing that Lawrence talks about is that dysentery was such a huge thing in this Ugh. time. And that anytime you kind of got hit with it, I mean, it was weeks before you were kind of fully back and he did get hit with it. And, once. and you get, you're already dehydrated in the desert and then that yes. just further dehydrates you. Like it's, it's wild. A- exactly. And so, you know, so there was that, that's the other thing throughout this, you kind of always have to keep remembering that, you know, Getting food, getting water, mm-hmm. get, you know, getting sick, getting stuck in a sandstorm. I mean, this was all real, you know, can't, you know, and, and they were and you know, mostly is, on camels. And it's and, a world before heavy use of plastics, too. So, like, oh, carrying yeah. water was a was Oh, no, thing. it was it was a big, big <laughs> like, issue, um, you know, throughout this entire uh, campaign. And it began with 45 men. I think it, it grew to about a thousand at one point, the Turks did find out what was happening, and and uh, so the Arabs had to ambush the Turks. Uh, they killed 550 Turkish soldiers, and only two Arabs died. 45 men killed 550 no, no, men? No, it ends up being, uh, they grew to about 1,000. Okay. Yeah, they, by this time, they grew to about 1,000. They killed 550 Turkish soldiers, and only two Arabs died. Um, so that's the thing is, Lawrence was very, I mean, and this was a lot of this, they were hiding in the, there was, you know, mountainous parts. They would hide in the crevices. It's very much guerrilla warfare. Yeah, tactical. But, uh, very mm-hmm. much. And so they, they, um, eventually they descended on Aqaba and the Turks surrendered and they took the, the outpost. And that was in, in his mind, that was kind of the, he, he felt that they were going to win, you know, this was kind of a sign that they were going to defeat the Turks. And, you know, he did this all on his own. Uh, and again, it's just, it's just a pretty, pretty wild thing to think about. This, this track triumph is a, is really a heavy hitter. It's got that sort of like. I I imagine it it sounds like what the desert heat feels like. It's like a whistling, irradiated, high end, and there's almost this. Uh, I, I wrote down and this is a shorthand because it certainly doesn't sound like that, but like sort of a dump truck clanging, like a metal banging kind of uh, rhythm or or mm-hmm. kind of loop or sample that's going on through it. That's, Maybe it's the trains. Yeah, you know, it's Ugh. the tra- it's the train cars. It's, it's rumbling, really unsettling yeah. sounding thing. Um. It's really, it's a, I wrote Merciless, which is one of the lyrics in the song. No but way, it's look. Also, I wrote Merciless too. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, Actually, but it, we wrote Merciless in the exact same spot yeah, on our note sheets. That's great. <laughs> but it is, it's one of the, in this track, there's a few words that he repeats in between kind of like the, you know, kind of other lyrics and Merciless is one of them. Evil is one of them. Merciless is one of them. I felt like Merciless was really the, the true embodiment of this piece to me. It's yes. like, it is unrelenting. Mm-hmm. And naked, naked, indifferent heaven. Like, yeah, and that's what they talk about. That, that's he's ta- that's what he's talking about. The, the you know what they're what they're living under. You know, in the mm-hmm. desert, and it is indifferent. They it mm-hmm. doesn't care yeah, about how, your comfort. Caring, yeah, 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 yeah. Cow, It doesn't you know. care about your dysentery. <laughs> no, absolutely no. not. Um, and that is the end of side a yes and i will be honest i had to take like a 30 second breather before I mean, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta bring it in you know you gotta you gotta kind of let everything settle you gotta let everything that went before settle uh and yeah no it, it calls for a, a break and again this is obviously very purposeful the way he lined this record up is very purposeful I, i've listened to this record casually uh, i can't count how many times but really sitting and focusing on it and soaking it all in uh requires a different sort of a level of exertion <laughs> to, to do. Yeah. It's really, there's a lot here. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there really uh, is. And it's even here. daunting. Like when we were listening, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to talk about the way I feel about this. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's really daunting because it is such, um, 
and internal space and such heavy things. And then also you get this point where, you know, two, in my mind, two really great men who are very individualized thinkers have had hands in this by the man it was inspired by and then um, by Mike Dando. And it's just, it's daunting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it yeah. really is because they, they seriously take you on an epic journey. And and what, you know, Dando says throughout his work in Condom and, and, and specifically for the eighth, eighth Pillar, he says, um, and this is uh, from an interview, a special interest interview. We've been referencing two interviews uh, throughout this. One is mm-hmm. special interest and one is hyper real. Um, this is from the special interest interview. And he says, a sense of building on what somebody has already said and done and experienced. The eighth pillar is the extra take, an extra pearl of wisdom, putting together the strands of a person's work and making it bigger than the sum of its parts. And I think that's that's exactly what he did here. You know, he's he's taking this stuff that exists and p- recontextualizing it and putting it into a new way mm-hmm. that it's, you know, like, kind of like Tara said, I mean, it is... It, it it is a very complex record and and i think the the deeper you go in it and the deeper you you attempt to experience this record the more rewarding it is and and that's exactly what he said he wanted to make people think and i think that that goal has absolutely been achieved in that same hyperreal interview he says uh Religion and politics are but two facets of the issue, two contributory causes of a human sickness. The aim is not to provoke thought about religion and politics. They are in themselves unworthy of serious thought, but rather to stimulate a self-analysis in relation to these and other infections. Yeah. How I mean, and great that's, is that? And that's his work throughout <laughs> from the beginning. And he's, he just nails it with the way he says that, you know, it's just so, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think, uh, I think one thing we kind of kept saying throughout, building towards this episode is that he Mike Dando is the best and he's the literal best and he might be the literal best. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we did say it a few times and we're like, and that, ah, that, that, you know what? that, that, core, I mean, that, that right there, yeah. he, he just, he, he has such a different and important way of thinking and an important way of presenting these ideas. And he's not, he's not, again, like we've said him multiple times, he's not giving, he's not spoon feeding us. He's not giving us answers, but he's giving us a context in which to think about this. And, and I think that that's as, as people who enjoy abstract sound and, and other, you know, abstract art, truly we just value freedom and um, the ability to explore what we want to explore, especially within ourselves. And he is just, and the embodiment of that, like it be the, the subject subversive, you know, it's always like in the highest regard to be able to like think about it and explore it from multiple angles and not just one side, which is like good or evil. He like takes that, that whole like crystal of truth and turns it over so much that you can barely recognize it, which I think is more reflective of the human experience than just saying something's this is good. This is bad. Spoon feeding you the way to think. And I think Lawrence embodied it as well. I think there's, there's so, I think he gives you even more here than just the noise. There's so much content to take in and Mm -hmm. process and look through. And I think that one of the things that condom has, uh, suffered from, from maybe his audience is a knee jerk reaction or response to some of the themes and concepts he, he deals with without looking at them through the lens that he does. And that this mm-hmm. uh, analysis and the portrayal of these ideas 
uh, and exploration of these ideas and the self-reflection on these ideas is what he is trying to do. He's not giving you an answer or telling you the way things are or ascribing to any specific belief. He is saying here is information. Yeah, now and, go be a human and do something well, and, with it. And in the, in the special interest interview, he talks about a show uh, in, in China, I believe, where a woman threw a chair and started kind of mm-hmm. a fight in response to what to the set. And, you know, the, you know, maybe you're, maybe someone's a performance, maybe initial or just kind of the reaction you might expect to be like, Oh, you know, get her out of here. She's through a chair. Yeah. She's just, you know, but he said, no, she, it was her actual response. It wasn't just the Pavlov dog response of just kind of like of submitting to the sounds that she was hearing. And w- like it or not, her reaction was an individual reaction. In that Hyperreal interview, he also says, uh, and this relates directly to that, Condom is a multimedia operation. Visual and performance elements are key pieces of the overall Condom jigsaw alongside the sound component. The total experience is only possible in a live setting. Education through confrontation. Yeah. (laughs) Only the live medium admits direct confrontation of an audience. Sound, vision, personal, physical presence, and that uneasy sense of the possible unexpected, the risk element. Yeah, 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 man. Someone throwing a chair at you is a risk element. By yeah, the way. yeah, and getting a chair, yeah, and, and his response was more, this was a more interesting response than everyone just banging their heads. And he's like, that's yeah. fine too. Yeah, that's, it's easy. That's, he's that's like, it's easy it, to get into the noise and just bang your head to it. to but. have someone have that, he's like, that to me was more interesting than than most responses. So we flip the record and we get to the confession of faith. Oh my God. This is a three part track. Um, and again, confession of faith was the title of a poem that uh, he wrote that is going to, we're going to. That T.E. Lawrence wrote. That T.E. Yes. Lawrence wrote that is going to play into one of the parts of this. Not the first part. The first part is also uh, from a poem that T.E. Lawrence wrote and it is the poem that introduces the book, the seven pillars of wisdom. And that is the confession of faith. Part one is the words from that poem are taken. And, you know, again, kind of somewhat recontextualized some, you know, maybe a few words here and there are taken out or a little Mm -hmm. order redone. That's, but that's, that's condom. He was taking this and kind of putting it into a new context. And I think these are some of the just most incredible words. Uh, Tara, why don't you read the first verse? Cause it's just so incredible. I drew tides of men into my hands and wrote my will across the sky and stars to earn in violet freedom the seven-pillared worthy house, but shattered it unfinished. I mean, come on. I mean, that's, whew, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard to really even dissect. Dude, I wrote my will across the sky and stars. Ugh, well, and I love unreal. that it's a confession of faith. The lyrics, especially in this part, are delivered as a confession. They're, they're not as aggressive and shouted from the mountaintops or uh, processed as the other vocals on on the record thus far so you're getting they're spoken they're they're told in confidence it feels like almost there it, it, it is a confession uh, the way he's delivering this and that's really powerful and you have this one kind of has that like church choir the, the, this whole track because it is a 17 minute piece there's so much in every minute of this track but there's this one mm-hmm. especially in the confession of faith one there's you know, this great church choir that's a under oh. the whole thing. Yeah, really, there's, there's like gentle beauty. Like when it when it drops out and gets quiet, it really leaves all of the violence resonating within you. It's it's very powerful. Before the uh, church choir, though, even there's sort of like some uh, like 
tape mutated, distorted uh, Arabic kind of. Mm-hmm. You hear some speaking, and you hear. Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh, I, I heard like marching, perhaps. Well, like, to, to me, it was the camel hooves. That's what I was hearing. Okay. I, I mean, oh, nice. maybe it was maybe it was marching, but I was hearing the camel hooves. Um, kind of galloping through the desert. I even wrote from the heavens, and the the hymn comes in and sort of overrides the uh, the like Arabic music that's that's playing before it. Uh, I hear some motorcycle. It motorcycle comes back here. Yeah, definite one, motorcycle. But then I, I wrote engine layering. It's like yes, it's it, almost yeah. like a starting and revving up of an engine, and then it, it, it keeps getting layered and layered and layered, and it's it's really 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 effective and there's there's a lot of white noise in this track that's just kind of hissing at you um it's it's great the lyrics are great but once that's finished and and sort of the choir drops away and it peels away you get that there's the engine acceleration but then the whipping comes in so yeah so um this is based this this uh, was is based on when lawrence was captured he was captured by the turks in 1917 and he was tortured and he was beaten and he was whipped and it it is detailed in the booklet um there's a excerpt from one of the pages it's a gorgeous passage and it talks about his um it talks about him you know being being whipped and being uh beaten um while he was in captivity and the confession of faith too uh is that's exactly what it's about and now the whipping uh uh was credited to GX Uber Larson, and that comes from a tape uh, of the same name. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you see him live, Condom live, well, when he does this track, uh, he also uh, whips himself. The the video that I referenced in the uh, Anjali record, uh, which also has a Condom performance from '95, he is uh, he's it's self flagellation. He's yeah. whipping himself during the performance, and it does not uh, seem like it's very fun. <laughs> No, I mean, it's very real. Mm-hmm. And he wants to feel the the pain that Lawrence went through. And he wants the audience to feel the pain or to to witness uh, the pain uh, being brought down uh, on him. Um, one thing that, though, in the booklet, um, before we get to Confession of Faith 2, there is a there's two pages of words that are not uh, lyrics. They're not lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the eight pillars of wisdom. And it is, again... Uh, kind of a collage of words written by Lawrence, but put together uh, by Mike Dando. And there's some really, really incredible passages um, in this, uh, in, in the eight pillars of wisdom. Um, I think one of the most interesting, and again, as something that will be a reoccurring theme throughout condoms work, as well as Lawrence's work. Um, he says, there's defiance of common sense in every faith. And I think that's something about this, these, this conflicting thing of faith, um, because there is a defiance of common sense. That doesn't mean that you, that you, that's not worth exploring, you know, that, that faith is not something to explore or to take upon, you know, to, to, you know, believe in something or to to have faith. Exactly. But there's, there's, in order to do that, there is some sort of defiance of common sense. Uh, You know, it's funny in, listening to confession of faith, I, I named the one, two, and three parts, um, trans transcendence through will transcendence through submission and transcendence through faith. And I think that's kind of how to me, like that they listen is like, one is like confronting your will. And the second part is like really confronting what it is to submit to something, um, especially like submitting your will. And then lastly, 
what it is to throw all that away and accept your faith. I, I think uh, part three, which we'll get to, but is uh, not only accepting your faith, but accepting your fate because this track to me lyrically. Uh, Just resignation. Yes. Yeah. It ties to uh, his, and we'll, I guess we'll get to this. In fact, I'm going to hold off on my thoughts on that one. Yeah. It, it, but the, Oh wait, which portion are we at right well, now? We're, we're on confession of faith too. And, okay. and again, you know, he, he discusses too, you know, and something that is certainly interesting to, to condom and to industrial um, kind of culture is that there, Lawrence does discuss a sexual um, feeling while being tortured and beaten and, and discusses this kind of, you know, pleasure and pain uh, element that of course, obviously, you know, we, you know, throughout industrial and, and power electronics mm-hmm. and noise is something that uh, is a, is a huge uh, subject. And Lawrence was getting at it, it in reality, it literally being captured, literally being tortured by the enemy. Um, and I think that's just, again, that just adds to the complexity of this entire situation of, of his life and of life yeah. in general. And in his moment of his greatest, like after, wielding so much power at his moment of greatest submission where his body is just being dominated by people who are brutalizing it. He feels a warm and swelling surge of sexual feeling. Um, and I think that that is it again, it, it's what makes him transgressive, but it also makes this just even more interesting and real. Yeah. Uh, there's a page in the booklet that is taken from the seven pillars of wisdom where he's talking about, being whipped and these these were uh, adapted in part to the lyrics that uh, condom is using but uh lawrence says as the punishment proceeded the whip fell more and more upon existing wheels biting blacker or more wet till my flesh quivered with accumulated pain and with the terror of the next blow coming they soon conquered my determination not to cry but while my will ruled my lips i used only arabic and before the end a merciful sickness choked my utterance so i he he was refusing to speak English to his captors and mm-hmm. only speaking in Arabic while being beaten. Uh, I, I just, it's, it's, I've not been whipped <laughs> until I, uh, gave up my resolve to cry and, uh, <laughs> and my resolve to not speak. And it's really, uh, it's the, the, the detail in which he writes about his torture in here is really uh, it's almost romantic at times what you're talking yeah. about a uh, sexual pleasure, but it is really, you can feel in here. Um, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, don't, yeah, I don't even know what to say. I'm, no, like, I'm actually mean, reading it while no, I'm saying this. But so. it makes me think of like when, you know, he talks about like awakening personal potential, like when condom talks. Yeah. About, when condom yeah. talks about that, like we, we love the extremes, you know what I mean? Like, and this is like, it's not just the extremes that like your body can handle. It's the extremes that your mind can handle. But then it's also kind of a dialogue about what your mind feels about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do you feel about the limits of your physical body? What do you feel about dying and having no control over that? Like, what do you feel about your utter submission to somebody who has power over you? Like, what what does it do inside of yourself? I had strung myself to learn all pain until I died and no longer actor, but spectator thought not how to care, thought not to care how my body jerked and squealed. Yet I knew or imagined what passed about me. 
I remember the corporal kicking with his nailed boot to get me up, and this was true. For the next day, my right side was dark and lacerated, and a damaged rib made each breath stab me sharply. I remember smiling idly at him, for a delicious warmth, probably sexual, was swelling through me. And then that he flung up his arm and hacked with the full length of his whip into my groin. Like, yeah, I mean, and so this is, you know, this is a very complex, you know, passage and, and time. And obviously it's this, this event uh, changed Lawrence, uh, probably, probably one of the biggest events mm-hmm. in his life that changed the direction of his life. He became very nihilistic at he, so he did escape. Uh, he escaped uh, his captors and, you know, returned to the, you know, the Arab, you know, his, his, uh, uh, I guess I don't know what the term would be, but he, you know, the, the people he was revolting with the yeah. Arabs, he was revolting with and it changed him forever. He was never really the same after that. I mean, I don't know how you could be. He became very nihilistic. He became very, you know, beyond dark, but you know, more than we had seen before. And in 1918, they returned to the castle that he was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on a, a complete, uh, it was, you know, complete blind rage. Uh, 4,000 Turks were killed. Uh, 750 were taken prisoner. And when he found they were taken prisoner, uh, he was ordered them all to be killed. Uh, so there were no prisoners taken. Uh, He killed every (laughs) single one. And that was, wow. he he never, you know, obviously it it changed him forever and he, he exacted revenge. And again, this is, this is what we're talking about. Like he says, there's an inherent evil in his tale. You know, this is, this is a, 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 a man who could write some of the most beautiful poems, uh, some of those Mm -hmm. beautiful passages you've ever read in your life. Uh, and also was a man who could order 750 prisoners to be murdered. And from he's, li- he's, he said he longed to forget his sins. I mean, welcoming death. From liter- from liberator to conqueror. Exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, no, exactly. Same, exactly. Same, same uh, exactly. goal, and, same quest. And um, so Damascus was eventually taken. This was kind of the ultimate goal. This is what he said early on in, in the campaign in the tent. He said, you know, in a year we're going to take Damascus. And everyone kind of laughed at him. And it, it, it did happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, unfortunately, uh, the the British-French uh, agreement um, main, stayed and maintained. And they took Damascus for, for the Arabs. And two days later, uh, the French took it. And that was the kind of end. And he became that completely crushed him. Uh, you know, he felt that he had you spent you know, these three years, you know, in this revolt leading this revolt, you know, teaching guerrilla warfare, you know, destroying these, the railways, uh, you know, all this strategy, all this, um, work and it ended up to give the people their freedom. And then they ended up being servants of a different Lord. The Arabs, instead of having Turkish overlords, they had European overlords and he pretty much after this, uh, he, he went, you know, he, he changed his name. Uh, he moved to a cottage in England and, you know, he would go on. I mean, he, you know, he, he lived for uh, about 15 more years, um, 15 or 16 more years after this, but, and he did various things. Um, but that the way it ended was so he, he never wanted to be in any sort of form of leadership in the military after that. He became a private, he was in the air force, mm-hmm. uh, and he kind of lived in a cottage and, that's really when he became obsessed with motorcycles, um, which is going to lead us into the third uh, confession of faith, the third part of this track. Um, but he was obsessed with his motorcycles. Uh, he had multiple, but like mm-hmm. we kind of stated before, it was always a brow superior, seemed to be his motorcycle of choice. It looks good on it. And he would just cruise around. And it was kind of his, 
that was his freedom. You know, kind of like you're saying, Gray, that's the, the feeling uh, that, uh, you know, people who are passionate about motorcycles and riding motorcycles, uh, it's one of the feelings they look for. And I think it was his, it was his reprieve from the world and from the world that he had been in. And obviously something, you know, you can't, it's not, it's, it's with, it will be with him for, it was with him forever. Yeah. You know, and, you know it reminds me of, 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 to bring it back to sweet movie, my favorite, <laughs> Pat loves it. Um, but it, it's all about the, the sweetness at the beginning of like revolution. And it talks about like rebellion. And then at some point those ideas morph into a brutal, brutal violence until you can't recognize the face that you're looking into. And I think that, you know, his revolution definitely um, took that turn. This, uh, this song is, it has some, uh, of course, religious allegory in it, but the lyrics also to me are about that wild feeling of uncontrollable speed while being on a motorcycle and being in the air and, to me also in, in this, uh, in this strange way ties to his, uh, well, he died uh, in yes. a motorcycle accident mm -hmm. and it's sort of been speculated that it was suicide, a murder, an actual accident. Uh, there's no known answer mm -hmm. and people seem to think there are reasons for other nefarious things or for him to have ended his own life. And these lyrics speak to that in me of the, like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die my way and I'm going to die. I hurl myself in speed beyond the body. The body scales the heaven in fumes of petrol. The concentration of the body in entering a loop. Bones, blood, flesh press inward. My guts heave. I hurl myself in speed beyond the body. That's going fast on a motorcycle. <laughs> and 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 these those are Lawrence wrote these words. I mean these are these are his words. Mm -hmm. And again they're again condom, you know, took a few words out, put a few things in different places. It's adapted. But, but this is, you know, the, the the exact words actually that that Lawrence said were um our bodies cannot scale the heavens except in fumes of petrol. And wow. you know again, yeah, there he's, we talking, go. he's talking about that. he's talking about motors. <laughs> of course that's what he's talking about. And yeah. in a way he foresaw his death and and you know in in just my research leading up to this episode I, I don't necessarily know if it was suicide per se but i think i mean he was basically he was going like he would always speed on his motorcycle going 90 100 miles an hour it was kind of a rainy day i think that maybe it was if if he's gonna die he's gonna die i don't necessarily know if it was like today i'm gonna go out and ride my, ride my motorcycle and crash and kill myself but I think that every time he probably got behind that, I got on that bike, there was maybe that thought of like, well, maybe this will be. It's a dangerous thing to do. And, and it's that adrenaline rush that he probably yeah. had gotten accustomed to. Well, that's that's part of what these lyrics. And I'm not sure what his uh, his poem or, or writing about it may have said, but the uh, the uh, bones, blood, flesh press inward. Yeah, um, that is, and that is his. That those are. I'm pretty sure those are actually exact words. That's of his, yeah. leaning into a turn. That's the feeling of the wind and the centrifugal force and the sheer speed and gravity of what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, you take a turn too fast on a motorcycle, you get scared. That's how it's scary. <laughs> like ninety percent of single vehicle motorcycle accidents happen. Like if you're not crashing to into or hitting another car, it's because people take turns oh. too fast. Yep. Uh, and it's very easy to do and underestimate the turn, the sharpness of a turn, the duration of a turn. If you think or an S curve, like that kind of stuff, it's dangerous. I mean, that's it's one of those things when you ride a motorcycle. It's one of the things that you 
fully you have to fully understand before you <laughs> commit to to you taking it up as something you want to do but uh as someone that rides a motorcycle i can fully understand <laughs> why these choices are made and these lyrics uh, especially speak to me and to me that's and you know we and that's throughout the whole album we hear the motorcycle revving up and, mm-hmm. and speeding up and getting closer and to me it's it is it's the motorcycle riding into the heavens uh in fumes of petrol and yes. that's what lawrence was doing yes um and then that then brings us to the eighth pillar. Now, I believe that what Condom is saying, so he said, you know, the eighth pillar, it's an extra, it's an addition. It's, it's the extra taking, pearl. It's the extra pearl of wisdom. I believe that the eighth pillar and the eighth pillar of wisdom is death, or at least according to Condom on this, uh, in this work and in this album. And uh, part of my um, feelings of that is that these are two quotes from Lawrence. Uh, And he said, Lawrence said, death is the completion of the edifice. And another quote he said that before he says that is life is a process of assembly, the construction of an edifice of knowledge. And so what I believe that he is saying is that all what we're doing throughout life is constructing this edifice of knowledge and that he believed death is the completion of the edifice It's the final knowledge It's the final pillar of wisdom. And that's what I believe the eighth pillar is lyrically again on this one. Again, it's, it's, it's Lawrence's words put through uh, Dando's filter in the lyrics. He says, death is the last free loyalty within our grasp, our final leisure, the completion of the edifice. How welcome is death to I who have nothing more to do but die. And so, you know, like I said, I think, I really think that what Mike is saying in this record with this record is the eighth pillar is the death, the final pillar of wisdom. And of course you'll notice uh, how welcome is death to I who have nothing more to do but die as the title of the last and likely final condom record. And we are talking about the first condom record. So this comes full, full circle. Uh, within the oeuvre of Condom. Yeah. And sonically, this is one of the strangest, this oh may be God. the strangest track on the record sonically. And it's got the washing water sounds and the, and the buoy dings. Yes. And, um, to me, I was taken to the port, you yeah, know, the no, outposts of the Red Sea, the exactly. ports of the Red Sea. And, and Not there's, there's times in the seventh pillar where he talks about just kind of, you know, just being out, looking out there and being alone and being you know, isolated and being, you know, the foreigner, being the stranger in this land and all the emotions and complexities that comes with that. And and again, and what he was doing, leading this revolt yeah. and just all that, all, you know, that's to me what I, when I hear those sounds and I hear the, the waves and, and the kind of almost bell like sounds or so, you know, maybe they're not claiming. quite bells. Right. I'm yeah. not exactly sure what they I, are. I, I wrote that too. They're not, I, I, I call that, them bells, but they're not, there is a, there is a bell on the buoy, but yeah. there's these other like sped up church bells. Yes. Right? Yeah. Sounds, yeah. But it doesn't sound bell. quite that same tone. Yeah. Uh, and there's some static, but the vocals also are, are very much a proclamation here. Like when you read those, it's he's, he, he's making a statement. It's no longer the confession. It's no longer the uh, command. It's a very simple statement that we're being told here. And it's very deliberate of different vocal styles 
to coincide with the different lyrics and vibes of these mm-hmm. tracks. And this one, I think, wraps it up just perfectly. And to me, maybe those were those, they were the death rattle. You know, it's the yeah. death rattle. And and someone haunted, I, I like the term greed of victory that he used. Like, yes. oh, yeah. you're just haunted by your sins, haunted by the greed of victory. And and also for the for the vocal styles, like truly, like, again, we don't even talk about the filters and things because they just seem so natural. Yeah. And it's they, not, yeah, it, they're very it's otherworldly. Like the least important thing because it just it just is. Yeah. It, it just yeah. exists. It fully achieves it so well that you don't you're not thinking about a voice through a filter or what pedal are they using? Like it, it's it totally it, it doesn't matter because they it is just this a successful um, disembodied voice that is portraying all of these feelings to you. I think that uh, Condom, especially on this record, but on a lot of of his records sort of transcends gear in terms of mm-hmm. like, even especially for me who, you know, it's so good to hear you I'm say a gear that. Nerd. Look yeah, at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people who said they saw him back in the nineties, you know, he would just, sometimes you'd have a tape, a tape player. deck. Yeah. When yeah. he played, I saw he had a tape deck. Yeah. Wow. And that's uh, just like, to me, that's crazy. perfect, you know? And uh, he, even when you see him, the, the show we've kind of referenced a few times in 2013, I mean, he has something, he obviously has something a little more, but not really. I mean, it's, it doesn't seem that he's the, He's he is manipulating the sound at points, but it's yeah. very minimal. It's mostly just happening. Yeah, maybe it's a couple tape decks and a mixer or something right. along those lines. Um, but there's, I mean, like when we look at stuff like his side of war against society, there's sound contributions from like GX and uh, Craig Daniel Menchie, Craig Sturgeon, so uh, cool. Richard Ramirez, maybe on that one. I think so. Um, and so he's got obviously these good sources to use. People we've you know talked about on the podcast, of course, already and. Uh, there's there's using like prepared tapes or things sent by other people there's lots of use of field recordings there's use of crude feedback and like modulation electronics uh even on this last track the eighth pillar there's sort of this dizzying drone going on that's really uh to me also with the sort of sped up church bells or whatever that sound is lends it to uh this this sort of concept of death and and maybe ascension or the the final the final freedom. I've always thought of this album as field recording power electronics. And <laughs> yes. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think a lot of condoms like that. Yeah, yeah I think uh, on some of the like a lot of the stuff I had heard early on, aside from like you know another proper album that is I think essential listening is Control Domination on Armed and Loaded, of which is, it. Uh, just also uh, was a side label of SFCR. Right. right yeah. Yeah. Um, but that one uh, deals with, uh, well, in part, I know it deals with the uh, Flannery O'Connor uh, wise blood. Yes. Novel. And I think uses some samples from, from the, the John Houston movie. Yes. Uh, starring Brad Dorff and Harry Dean Stanton. Great movie. Uh, great book. Check it out. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, but there's also lots of field recordings and layered sounds and stuff on that. But then a, a lot of my introduction was also some of the uh, like live tapes. And I think some of the nuance is lost on those, maybe through duplication, through recording in a room, you don't get these, these layers and stuff. It's definitely sounds a lot uh, more sort of electronic and feedback and, and uh, uh, modulation phaser flanger, whatever kind of stuff and less of the field recording stuff. But when you get a good clear recording of these things or like reissues or remastered things where you can hear everything really well, Field recordings play such a heavy part in this and it's it's not a sample or something. It's like recordings of a motorcycle, you know, or recordings yeah, yes. of yeah. of uh, the seaside or recordings of, uh, like you said, a camel hooves or like whatever kind of thing is, is being used or a busy marketplace. And they're not uh, traditionally like 
powerful or power electronics tropes you're using in terms of sounds, not a heavy Korg MS 20 synthesizer and like industrial rhythm, steel drum banging or something. It's like really just a recording of a place or a location or an atmosphere that is familiar or. And that's why it gives we, you that feeling identify. of it. Yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. I, I really love that. I think it's one of the things that makes this so powerful is the identifiable elements in it being recontextualized to tell his story. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I think a great way to sum up the, this, you know, maybe the end of this track and, and, and even maybe at the end of Lawrence's life, you know, Lawrence said, death is the final prize, the best of all your possible works. You know, when he, when he died, you know, he was definitely, like I said, you know, after, after being tortured and after winning, but losing, you know, the revolt, he, he was never the same. And, and people who said they would go see him in his car, co- he lived in a, co- a very small cottage in Dorset. Nice. And I, I believe it was reported to not even have a kitchen or a bathroom, you know, very tiny. Uh, and, you know, people would go see him and said, you know, he just wasn't the same. He'd be, you know, very skinny, very gaunt and just mm-hmm. very nihilistic. And, you know, he always, he talked about the madness that would be with him at all times and and just all these feelings that he was dealing with throughout the rest of his life. So I do believe that he did feel that death was the final prize. And maybe that was the eighth pillar, you know, to Lawrence, to T.E. Lawrence. So his piece was nothingness. Yeah. And, and that's and, what and he which, wished for. And which and, and Kanam talks about nothing. You know, that's in is that in Credo where, you know, it keeps is that. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. It's the last lyric in Credo. Nothing. And when you in live, when he does that, you know, he repeats that, you know, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um you know what a this is this is a, a a piece of work that transcends any um any sort of musical form uh any sort of any sort of box you want to put it in i think this this is probably one of the most important pieces of work whatever word you want to call it art music sound experiment it doesn't matter one of the most important pieces of work of modern times i i really do believe that it's a it's a artistic interpretation of a man's life and life's work, uh, an important man who did many things and who had a great impact on sort of the world as we know it. Uh, and that's a, that's a really, really powerful thing. Yeah. This is not just a record. I think, uh, it is a phenomenal record, but sure, you could put, so you could put it on and join it. And kind of like you said, how many years have we had this record? How many times have we kind of just put it on and yeah. to enjoy the record and c- cause it is such a great record. But now I don't think there's really ever a way I can ever listen to it again in that context. Now, having truly kind of dug into everything that that Mike was giving us, and and I'm sure we've missed a lot. I'm sure I'm sure yeah. we've missed a lot, and and but I'm sure Mike would be okay with that. That no, no, how you took it is probably different than he how he took it, and that but that he was he was never about he he always stated he's not trying to give us an answer. He's letting us yeah, and I'm sure, come up with answers. I'm sure there are so many perspectives uh, on this album, especially when you take a character like that and you put their entire like society into context. It, it leads you to many, many different places and many different feelings, um, you know, up, down, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. You can um, take it many, many different ways, but all in all, when you listen to it and, and if it doesn't make you think about your own personal humanity, then that I, I, I don't know what would make you think about that. I agree. Um, one, another kind of very interesting, uh, a note about Lawrence, about T. E. Lawrence is that his death is 
one big big event that is responsible for motorcycle helmet laws. Now, he was not a motorcycle helmet wearer, as many people certainly weren't back in the day. Um, but when he, the one of the first people at the scene um, who, you know, who was the, one of the medical um, uh, inspectors uh, was a man named Hugh Cairns, C-A-I-R-N-S. Uh, and he was because of the way he died. It was, it was, it was, it was a brain, it was a you know, head injury is traumatic, how traumatic brain injury ultimately that yeah. is what, you know, the cause of death. And so he was, he took it upon himself to really start researching these, you know, brain injuries, head injuries. He was one of Britain's first neurosurgeons. This record is a flawless, flawless piece of art uh, i encourage anyone to seek out the original lp i think uh barring that get the compact disc reissue it's, from it, functional it's it's great uh that the the cd is is it's pretty widely it's pretty available uh i i'm I, I think it's great i hope that everyone immediately goes and picks it up i believe there's a download uh, you, there's, in the world it's on there's it's on Bandcamp, so you can you can purchase the digital you can get the cd um it's mandatory basically yeah, you can i don't get it. I, agree. I don't really yeah. see uh, uh, any really anyone interested in in exploring um these these parts of life not owning this uh, not having this album in their life and something that they can go back to uh, you know forever just like we're going to uh, for sure like we have uh, throughout our lives and and now it's a new way of of listening to this record that I don't think we can ever go back from. And would you recommend reading The Seven Pillars of Wisdom? I absolutely would recommend it. It's it is a very very dense book. Um like I said it it re, it's it is this weird kind of is it a novel? Is it a historical document? It's kind of both. I'm so uh, jealous and, that you got to read it, but you paid what was it was less than a dollar. Oh, on I mean, Kindle, if you want right? to get the Kindle, you can just grab <laughs> like, it on the Kindle. That's the, but no the, excuses there's, there. there's, there's tons of versions of it out there. You can get yeah. a, you can get a really nice, beautiful deluxe, you know, a uh, hardback version with the art, the engravings and all that. Or you can just, you can grab, you know, uh, however you want to do it. I, I really recommend it. It's, it is very dense. It is, uh, once you kind of get in the rhythm of it though, it's very rewarding and it's a great supplement if you want to read along um, to this, there's also a, a lot of great biographies on him. There's a lot of great articles. I mean, there's, there's so much about there that you can read about Lawrence um, to supplement your listening of this album that I, I recommend everyone do that. And condom interviews are well, just mind blowing. That's They're the great. Other thing. There's yeah. so many great interviews out there. Like I said, we were really referencing two um, hyper real and special interest, but there are more out there. And there's there's great live footage like we keep referencing a show from 2013 in Moscow where he performs the Eighth Pillar in its entirety. We've watched it multiple times this week, and <laughs> we 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 loved it so much we did two in a row. Yeah, because it's just because you're just like, well, uh, there's absolutely nothing else that I could watch after that. So no. why don't we just yeah. watch it again? I yeah. think I've seen every Condom performance yeah. on YouTube multiple times now, but yeah. I will keep watching them. Uh, there's a really great interview I think that was done in Japan that you can find on there too, where he's it's him answering these questions and it's it's 100 percent worth watching. Cool. Oh, and of course the interview we've referenced as well. Um, uh, there's uh, that came with the uh, hospital reissue of Dragged Into the Gutter, a uh, oh, three yeah, CD, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it it's a really it's like a it's a really great hearing him and hearing his voice and hearing the things he has to say. It's like I said, uh, the, he is a true visionary. Um, t- to even again, musician, artist, those words seem they seem mundane. 
and they just don't even seem like I, I feel like I, it's like calling Lawrence a writer. It's just like, yeah, exactly. it's not, yes. there's so much more uh, to both of these, both of these people than that. And uh, yeah, I'll end with a quote from the Hyperreal interview about Condom itself. Condom is an expression of self, a personal search. It will continue until there is no longer any need to look. You've been listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger. I was here with Mike Connolly and Tara Connolly. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Vernon Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. Speaking of which, we got some new ones, and they are... Jonathan Hansman, Michael O'Flynn, Jay, Josh Wibbs, Dylan Wass, Luke Younger, Ryan O'Connor, Kyle Dennis, Austin Williamson, and Logan Wells. Thanks a lot. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in all of those, and on Twitter at noise extra with three A's. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.